Why have I quit my job? Why have I, you know, bought a van? And, and why am I going to drive around the country? Well, I'm passionate about the idea that you need to be heard. And I want to stitch these stories together across the states. We're going to find the commonalities. And it's going to be really an amazing experience. And I look forward to you joining me on the job. Hello, everybody. It's your host, Ken. Welcome to, or welcome back to, I should say. It uh, seems we're here every day. Welcome back to Mental Health Today. I'm your, as I said, I'm your host, Ken. I'm uh, also founder of the JAR Foundation and the, the JAR Podcast. The JAR Podcast is a traveling show, and it's one we use uh, to really travel around the country and interview 444 people in 111 cities uh, about human stuff. Uh, things important to humanity, and that video we just uh, we just saw is is really me in the beginning about 14 months ago, kind of imagining uh, what I would find, and that or that I would find something, but not really sure what it would be. And it turned out it was mental health. Um, everybody's got struggles with it, you know, probably today now in some way, shape, or form in a light sauce. Uh, but there's also those moments that come on pretty heavy and pretty hard. And, you know, affect people uh, for quite some time as people learn to unpack it. So really, um, that's what the show is all about. And we bring on people who are in the space doing things uh, who, you know, less on their mental health journey. And and we focus more really on that that trigger moment, that passion moment where they realize there's a problem. They want to help. And, you know, John, today we had a great off off mic chat. He's talking about, you know, the sense of urgency. <clears throat> and that's something I really like. I love the sense of urgency, John. How's it going, man? Thanks for being a guest. Thanks for burning some time with us. Uh, tell us your story. Pleasure to be here. Can appreciate it. Uh, I'm an online coach based in and born and raised in New York City, specializing in folks dealing with mental health challenges. Majority of the folks I work with have a combination of depression anxiety, mm -hmm. obesity, all three are mental health challenges. And I came to this space because I had to reach a place where I was suffering from all three of those and worse to find inspiration to grow out of my low position. Mm -hmm. I was just doing everything that was expected of me. You know, I'm, I'm a mid thirties guy in New York city, recently broken up. And I just was engaging in all the behaviors that are to be expected. I had been engaging in a lot of those behaviors when I was in my relationship. But after that bandaid was ripped off, it was just all in. And these are inherently negative acts, damaging our well-being, our bodies with food, damaging our minds with drugs and alcohol, damaging our spirits with uh, no strings attached romantic mm. encounters. These are all inherently very negative, And they drove me to a very, very negative place. And that was a place of near death. I was actually considering ending my life um, at the pit of my being, you know, at the, mm. the pit of my experience. And that yeah. was my moment of inspiration. It's a real, <clears throat> excuse me, it's a real thing. I mean, people get you, especially when you're physically and emotionally wrecking yourself, right? I mean, it does seem like there's, there is an out, right? There's that, you know, that dangling carrot of an out. Uh, yeah. versus facing the hard mountain climb out. hundred percent. And we're expected to dig ourselves deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. But the structure that's around us doesn't really provide any holistic, healthy ladder out. There's prescription drugs, which are the same thing as illicit drugs. 
There is a licensed alcohol, tobacco. There are easily accessible drugs. There's disgusting food. There's nihilistic worldview. There's a soullessness in the contemporary discourse. These are all temporary solves, but there's no real permanent mm. way out. And that was a big issue for me. I thought that by digging the knife deeper into my wound, I was somehow healing, but obviously I was hurting myself more. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just, now that I'm on the other side of it, it, it's so transparent, it's so obvious, but when you're in the middle of such pain and such sickness and such wounding, mm -hmm. it seems like it's all there is. There is no way out. And we're sort of trapped in this space where the only way out is like further in, and then they give you a way out of, endless therapy and a, a medical system that does not care about you at all. And a family that is likely damaged, which is where you were wounded to begin with. And it's, it's all of these things. And until we stop looking outside of ourselves for these solutions, mm -hmm. these external solutions and begin to look inside, only then can we begin to heal. And finally, I managed to begin that healing process right following the pit of my mental health crisis. And I'm very thankful I did because it saved my life. And through a very simple program based around mm. discipline, positive daily habits, and creating a system within, I was able to come to terms with the system without. And that's the path I'm walking now. And this is a daily battle. You know, the battle people talk about, the struggle for mental health, the battle for mental health. What folks don't understand is this is not an overarching macro fight. This is a daily fight. And if we Absolutely. set ourselves up to win every day, then we can set ourselves to win the mm -hmm. long-term battle. What was that, what was that rope you found when you were, you know, when you were in the pit, what was that thread of light? Cause I mean, it sounds like you just dig, you know, you twist in the knife, twist in the knife, but somewhere you found, you know, some, some ray of hope. Yeah. I found a coach. My coach had been to hell and back. Like, a lot deeper, darker. The aligned individual will huh. find someone that the, the aligned individual, the person aligned with a better future, which is the day I decided to change my life and that my life was worth living. I then became aligned with a positive future. The aligned individual right. will find someone who is farther down the path of alignment and say, Hey, how did you get there? And then we'll walk in yeah, alignment, yes. yeah. both the path and the person. And so my coach had done a very long prison term um, and seen a lot of people die with his own eyes and seen a lot of people turn to the, the hardest of hard drugs inside because they believed they were gone forever. And in a place like that, a crucible like that, he managed to form a program based around positive daily action so as to get through no matter what external stressors, no matter what external negativity, hmm. creating positive internal assets. Now, when he got to the so-called free world, he saw that everyone is having the same issues. They just weren't, <laughs> locked. They just weren't locked up. Yeah, they shouldn't I have... I was actually in, in prison. I was imprisoned in my own mind. I was in the prison of my own mind. It might as well have been a physical prison. It, I felt trapped. There were days I couldn't get out of bed. There were days I couldn't leave my house. To me, that sounds like prison. I'm sure yeah. anyone watching who deals with anxiety, that is a prison. If you cannot leave your bed, you are imprisoned by your own mind. If you cannot leave your room, you are imprisoned by your own mind. If you cannot look at yourself in the mirror without feeling like punching the mirror, you are imprisoned by your own body. So I was in a, a sort of prison trapped by a body and mind of my own making and in signing up with a coach that had developed the system i was taught the system of personal development of self-improvement and boom and an obsessive like me an anxious person like me a depressive like me a comfort addict like me a womanizer like me found something to channel all of that negative energy into a positive way 
what people need to understand is that hmm. even if the people that at, at the lowest internal physical state, they're actually the best prime to be the teachers and the leaders and the healers because they have invested so much of their energy in negativity. It means they're pretty abundant in the negative sense. They're scarce in the positive sense. And you just flip that. That's all you have to do. You take everything, all of the money, all of the energy, all of the hate, all of these things that I invested in myself this way. I just had to flip it the other way. So I have cool. I have not touched anything since I turned my life around. Nothing, not one sip, not one pill, no smoke, none of that. And I don't plan to. I just, it just requires a mindset shift. It's amazing. What, so talk a little bit about well, how did you find yeah, the, the food, the, the, the New York City food way? How, do, how does this come in to the, to the story? That's a great question. NYC Foodways, AKA Foodways Coaching, evolved because food is both a fundamental aspect of my coaching program and a fundamental aspect of my life. I've always been very into food. And one of the things I've noticed in healing myself is exactly how broken our food system is. Over a million Amen people, to that. if you can believe this, there are 8 million and change people in New York City. Over a million of them went hungry last year. At the same time, this country throws out more than one third of all food produced. So the way that we have a nationwide mental health crisis, crisis of broken minds and broken bodies, we have a broken food system. And I believe those two, there's no belief, those two are very closely linked. If we are to heal the broken food system, we can heal our own broken system. Mm. I'm very active in food rescue. I'm actually wearing a, a shirt for one of the community fridges, the, one of the food rescue partners that I organize with. Uh, but I know that when I was sick and using and wasting my life, I always thought about saving food and rescuing food. It's something I've been involved in to varying degrees over the years. But because I was so broken, I was barely able to affect change in that space. After I turned my life around and I stopped distracting myself with the pleasures of man, come to find out, I'm able to do massive things in the food rescue space. So NYC Foodways, a foodway is a cultural pathway through food. Currently, the dominant culture in this country has a very negative pathway through food. A mm. lot of the people that we see that are obese, anxious, depressed, mentally ill, have a negative pathway through food. On my team, in my space, with the people that I organize with and the clients that I coach in my own life, we have a positive cultural pathway through food. We don't waste food. We don't waste our life. We don't waste our time. We don't waste our resources. And we certainly don't waste our love for Earth. And the biggest F you to the Earth I can think of is destroying the bounty that Mother Earth has given us through food. So that's mm -hmm. why I say NYC Foodways. If we can heal our own relationship to food and with the food system, then we can heal our own relationship to ourselves and with ourselves. You said something, that's great, great summary. Um, you said something earlier and it's come up and, and it's something I've, I've thought about, but it's, it's awfully hard to say. Um, and it's a bit controversial probably because it hurts people's feelings. Good. Perhaps. Um, I mean, Good. you said obesity is linked to mental health. I would rather hurt people's feelings than have people hurt themselves. I know when I was hurting myself multiple mm. times a week, I wish someone had entered my apartment. I can visualize it as I was using drugs in preparation to meet someone to try to sleep with them. I wish someone had came in and told me what a fat, lazy, disgusting slob I was. I wish that had happened mm. earlier. Because had someone done that and hurt my feelings, then I wouldn't have hurt my soul as many times as I had. So mm. let's get that clear. Secondly, it is impossible to feel good about yourself if you do not feel good about the way you look. Anyone who says otherwise is lying. 
The system wants us to consume as much food as possible. That's what keeps the gears turning. That's why obesity and everything else is increasing in this country. This is why we export fast food and obesity around the world. This is the dominant global culture America is at the forefront of. Subsequently, if you don't feel good about yourself, how is your mental health going to be? If you look at yeah. yourself in the mirror and are not happy, that means you are going to have mental health problems. Thus, obesity and mental health problems are one and the same. Obesity is a mental health issue. We don't think about what we're doing, so we just eat whatever we want. Not thinking is a problem with your mind. Mm. Then we become fat and obese and self-hating because we don't like the way we look. So then we have to run to some drug to narcotize ourselves, some drink to numb the fact that we don't like what happened in the past or more food to make us feel good for about 20 minutes. They are very, very closely linked. And one can only say that if they have been both out of shape and in shape. Someone who's been in shape all their life, I don't really want to hear from about right this topic at all. And someone who's been out of shape their whole life and talks about fat shaming and body shaming, I have these words for. Fat shaming is the shame I felt when I was fat. Body shame is what I felt when I hated my body. Hmm. It's internal, right? It really is internal. How can it not be? Because we are visual creatures. If we walked around without any sensory apparatus at all, we were just paramecium, then Assumedly, it wouldn't really matter. But the fact that the creator has imbued us with the ability to sense and view, yeah. thus it is real. Furthermore, when I was struggling to tie my shoes, like if we want to make it very, very clear, what about the practical aspect? I could not tie my shoes without huffing and puffing. I lived on the fifth floor of a old tenement building because I was very low value. I, I couldn't really, that's all I could afford was a fifth floor walk up on Her on Lower Manhattan's Heroin Alley. If anyone is familiar with the geography of New York City, there's one street, Delancey Street, which is essentially a thoroughfare for opiates. And that's where I was living at the time. Holy jeez. I, I had difficulty. I encourage any viewers who understand New York, just think about a person doing what I was doing on the fifth floor walk up of a tenement that faced the Williamsburg or the Manhattan bridge or Williamsburg bridge. Like it was a very grim situation. I would climb to the fifth floor and be winded. I couldn't tie my shoes. Like these are real things. I don't want to hear about acceptance. No fat person accepts themselves to the level that the same person in shape would accept themselves. It's mm. not possible. I did both. I know. I have been on both sides and you've taken clients across the bridge. Of course. Yeah. I've worked with, I've worked with international folks. I've worked with people significantly older than I, I think my, my oldest client was 59. I've worked with women. I worked with all types. Pain is universal. Let's get that clear. We yeah. have all lost something. So everyone in this space, everyone watching this, everyone viewing this, everyone on earth has had this pain and manifest in one of three ways. They lost a family member before it was okay, either to some freak accident or a freak illness. They experienced a breakup. So someone left them before they were ready. Or a parent was not present in the emotional and or physical sense hmm. when they were young. One of those three things hurt you, the metaphoric you, any, any you in the world. And that's a pain that we carry with us. That emptiness, that void, that lack, we attempt to fill with temporary bullshit. And then that temporary bullshit weakens us to the point where we desire more. It takes ever-increasing doses. Then we begin to see the physical effects of it, and then we become depressed. Then we're anxious about what's to come. And then we're just stuck in these negative states. This is how the game is played. Hmm. We used to have multi-generational family structures. 
great-grandparents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, folks with fertility issues, folks with an abundance of children, folks with disabilities, everyone lived within relative close proximity. So uh, someone's parent dies of a freak illness. Well, thank goodness they have half a dozen or a dozen other family members to step in and provide that love. That doesn't happen anymore. Thankfully, both of my parents survived and are still alive and kicking. May they live a long and healthy life. But I know many people who lost folks, typically men, because men die a lot younger than women, at a young age, and it permanently scarred them. Yeah. So it's no wonder they're yeah. sleeping around. It's no wonder they're drinking. It's no wonder they have all of these issues. They lost half of their emotional stability. A lot of people didn't even have a dad growing up. How on earth are you going to be okay? And then the breakup part, people we attach our souls to leave us, and then we're left bereft. This is the issue. We are structured in a society that does not provide what we need. We only have two parents. There are issues with those parents, and then we're just left to fend for ourselves. It's not mentally possible to be okay. What do you think started you down the road? My parents had their own massive issues. My parents had serious trauma, unresolved. It's only partially resolved to this day. Hmm. And they didn't have access to... There were no online coaches. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, let's face it. It was rough, man. It was rough going for your parents. Even even therapy was somewhat taboo, you know, back in the day. Um, so they oh, both absolutely still is in some places. It, absolutely. It, it is. And therapy and I, we have, it's not really, coaching and, he, and healing therapy is a lot of talk, but we can get into that later. But yeah, both my folks had had and still to some degree have unresolved trauma from their childhoods. And they were not given the the tools to process it. And I don't blame them for anything except being themselves. Mm. A big a big issue for me was my inability to let go of the past. And in being unable to let go of the past and trauma experience at home growing up, I was just frozen. I was stuck there. So in yeah. order to be the man I am today on good terms with my folks, which I am, we've never been on better terms, uh, I had to understand and accept them. And the only reason way I was able to accept them is to accept what had been done to them. They yeah. both experienced abuse. They weren't able to process it. They were frozen at the time. So is it any wonder that that ended up manifesting itself at home? Absolutely yeah. not. So then I internalized that and didn't have any way of processing it and essentially paid it forward by being a low level version of the man you see now. And then what do you know? In perpetuating that trauma, I felt karmic debt accrue, 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 accrue. Yeah. And then it was not until I accepted them that I was able to move forward. But you can't accept others until you accept yourself. That's a massive issue for people. You can't accept your parents or things, your exes, things that were done to you because you are not an acceptable person. You've done a lot of unacceptable things. Yeah. You're sleeping around, your drug use, your lying, cheating, the hiding, the illicit everything, the not showing up, the non-committal stuff, the not following through. These are all karmic debts. So you accrue this. How can you accept someone in deep debt? You have to stop mm. accruing negative energy. And as you stop accruing it, it naturally purges itself. Once it's cleared off yourself, you can only then accept others. I could not accept anyone in my life, not my exes, not my folks, not anyone, until I began accepting myself. And I oh. couldn't accept myself until I stopped doing unacceptable acts. Yeah, I'm I'm 100% with you on the acceptance. I think that's kind of closely, um, I, in my book, I wrote a book called Dear God. And one of the chapters is is acceptance so the the first the there's four parts to the book the first the first part is the book of self and that's acceptance uh, i'm sorry it's your yesterdays your todays your tomorrows it's really all about yourself and your mind uh, but the 
book two is really between you and another person. It's called the book of others and it's acceptance, forgiveness, and compassion. And, and those, those things as interpersonal skills. And I think, you know, those are all three of those, right? You got to accept yourself. You got to forgive yourself. You got to have compassion for yourself first. If you haven't figured all that out, you cannot accept somebody else. You can't have compassion. You're not capable of it because you, ha you haven't forgiven yourself, right? How can you forgive somebody else if you're still holding your own, your own anger and your own, you know, self-criticism? Resentment is like drinking poison and expecting the other person, the other person to die. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's absurd. I was the most resentful, bitter, spiteful, angry. <laughs> self. I was the... Oh. Everything I criticize is something that I do not engage in anymore. One of the great phrases of our time is you hate on what you gave up on. So when yes. people see me and they criticize the manner in which I live, then I know that they do not wake up early. I know that they do not train physically. I know that they do not eat right. And I know that they are not struggling for their own mental health. So when I criticize people that use alcohol, are obese, are holding resentments, et cetera, et cetera. Those are all things that I gave up on. I don't do that anymore. Mm, interesting. I love that analogy. To come, let's bring us back to, um, and we've got about we got about five, six, seven minutes, six, seven minutes. Let's come back to the food ways and and you know what what is actually going on and and can somebody else do this in another city and how how does it work? And Absolutely. yeah, and I just re just really quick, I was in St. Petersburg and one of my guests was a self-confessed dumpster diver, and it was and that's what she was doing was going and finding you know good food that people are throwing out for stupid reasons. So I've launched food rescue projects across the country. I have a pilot project in the works in Canada, and there's no reason it couldn't go farther afield. Yeah. We're talking about food, food ways in, in two ways. The food ways of food rescue, yes. which I can help folks around the world set up. The easiest way to do it is to partner with businesses that would throw out food otherwise. We're mm. talking about edible but unsaleable. I'm not talking about rotten food. I'm not talking about spoiled this. Yeah, yeah. I'm not even talking about stuff that's past its sell-by date, although that's, that's hogwash. I'm talking about at a grocery store, the fresh bread needs to be pulled, let's say, two or three days before yes. expiry. But it's still good for at least those two or three days. And between me, you, and everyone in the world, it's good for probably a week after. That's oh, yeah, that's exactly. Good. I know that. So the simplest way is for anyone listening that is interested in getting in, touch, in, in engaging in food rescue is to find a stakeholder with a soul at the business and figure it out from there. Mm. There are a million ways to go about it. I encourage you to shoot me a message. I've set up projects across the country. In New York alone, my biggest project to date at its peak was feeding 7,000 yeah. families a week that would have otherwise gone hungry with food that would have otherwise hit the dumpster. So do the math. It's it's possible to set up anywhere in the world. So that's the food rescue aspect of food ways. Now, if you are struggling with food in your own life, if you're overweight, if you are dealing with binge eating or overeating, undereating, just mental health challenges around food, which most mental health challenges are, you can hit me up on my coaching program, mm -hmm. I have structured nutrition, holistic plans. I've worked with vegans. I've worked with people doing keto. I've worked with people doing carnivore. We can tailor your nutrients to fit your body type, age, all of that. That's just fundamental part of mm -hmm. my coaching program. And those two things are linked. If you're in control of your own food, you can be in control of the food ways of your group. If you're in control, if you're doing food rescue, you will never, I, I always say this, that no person that has ever been extremely hungry wastes food and no one who rescues food will ever waste food again. This was, this is what my guest, I don't have my book. I can't, I'm going to, I'm going to stumble on her name. Um, oh, it's just right on the tip of my tongue too. 
this was an interesting thing. Her, she met up her partner and, and this person was someone who just would casually go around and kind of rescue it themselves and, and included it in, you know, because they just didn't want to, they didn't want to contribute to the mass production of more and more. So they were just like, let's just rescue what's left. Um, and her conversation was quite interesting. She really did. The way she articulated it was how much food became a really worshipped thing in her life and how it life revolved around where you sourced. Now, where did you find food? How do you get food? Okay, let's. they started a, a group where they would share each other's food in their neighborhood from their trees and then they would can it. And then you had this like credit system where like, you know, I gave you all my mangoes from my tree and then everybody ran away with the mangoes and they went to some place, they canned it and they came back. She got 20 cans. The other people got, it's just like this whole network that starts out of something as simple as rescuing bad, not, you know, food that ha can't be sold. Say that word. Say yeah. that word. Say bad food because that's the way the system would describe it. Yeah, yeah. And no, and I corrected myself. It's like, it's not bad. It's just food no. that's, that needs to be taken out. You know, it can't be sold. I, I want to. I want folks to use the word bad because yeah, yeah. It, re, it recontextualizes that. Well, if this is all based on bad food, that is, is bad food really bad? What you just described is essentially not quite pre-modern, but definitely pre-post-modern way of doing. You have mangoes, which, go, which are imported from Peru, I'm not really Mexico, sure. Somewhere, Mexico, yeah, Mexico Philippines, yeah. Philippines with horrible labor practices. They're coated in transport fuel and they're extraordinarily expensive. At the same time, had those mangoes not been rescued, canned and redistributed, they yes. would have gone to waste. Yeah, so that was have, the whole thing. And then I'm certain a group like that is probably composting the peels and seeds and using the seeds to propagate. So what are we doing here? And what does that require? A group of people. What does a mental health system require a group of people what was taken from us in this sick postmodern way of living a group of people group, funny yeah. how that works yeah. no single person has a mango tree is able to harvest it is able to can it and is able to consume Cannot. it it's not possible it's, it's but not. a dozen people i've engaged I, I worked on farms around the world never harvesting mangoes i didn't do a ton of work in tropical areas but you know florida yeah. is awesome but but yeah i mean my folks my grandparents both sets settled in south florida my paternal grandparents, they had the best trees on the block. They had a lychee tree and a carambola Ooh. tree in their front yard. Ooh. In their center yard, they had a couple like navel orange trees. And in their backyard, they had a pink grapefruit and a white grapefruit tree. Wow. They were in, and they were elderly folks, transplants, but they both had green thumbs. And these two people grew all these luxury exotic fruits. I'm pretty sure lychees go for like 20 bucks a pound in Vietnam. Yeah. And they're all imported from Vietnam and they're flavorless. Like, guys, folks listening... Our relationship with food is the last link we have to our mother earth. Everything mm. else has been taken from us. Nobody, you know, fishes, hardly anyone. No one, you know, hunts, hardly anyone. No one, you know, weaves. No one, you know, does things that connects us to the earth, except we all eat. But meat isn't grown on a piece of styrofoam. <laughs> Fruit does not come canned from Vietnam. Like, these are insane things and this is why our these are this is why our bodies are so messed up our bodies mimic the food system and the food system mimics our bodies we have massive swaths of corn and soybeans and grown across the country and all of that is in everything we eat and then in california we have all the stuff that can be grown four seasons a year which is horrible and shipped across the country it it's just awful i live in new york city in new york i should be eating the only fruit i should be eating from 
September to April is apples, period. Yeah. And yet I'm able to find other stuff. Like, guys, shop at your farmer's market. Hop on a program to heal your body. Eat local. Do as mm. Ken described and find local food in your area that would otherwise go to waste. There are fruit tree, uh, neighborhood fruit tree projects. There are food rescue projects in your area. If you want to set up a food rescue project, reach out. I have the blueprint. Yeah. I help folks all around the country do it. It is so simple. The people working at restaurants, they have been hungry. They don't want to throw the food out either. They're just strapped for time and making minimum wage. So they're not going to go the extra mile. But if you go the extra mile, you can rescue food from restaurants, grocery stores, any place, businesses. I rescue catered lunches and catered dinners from these bourgeois spots in Midtown Manhattan on the regular. <laughs> that is crazy, right? $5 or not $5. I'm joking. $10 sandwiches, $15 sandwiches. You'd be lucky for $10 sandwich. Yeah. $15 sandwiches. You get, you know, the law office, they have yeah. a late night. There are 50 people at the firm. They get 50 sandwiches. 30 of them get eaten. 20 sandwiches outside. There are 20 people with, struggling with mental health issues that don't have dinner. Like it's, it's, it's wild, but it, it goes so deep. And here's the thing. When I was in the pit and nihilistic and dark and using, I thought there was no way out for me. And so I was not fighting hmm. to heal the food system. Now I know that in taking positive action is victory. We're not going to solve the issue of food insecurity or food waste tomorrow. But in fighting today, that's all that matters. I don't think I'm going to single-handedly topple Monsanto. Does that mean I should go back to wanting to kill myself? Like, really, that, that's, that's the... Yeah. Sartre wrote... Sartre wrote um, and my French is horrible, so forgive me for butchering his name. That we have essentially two choices in life to kill ourselves or to have coffee. So I've chosen to have coffee and really, <laughs> and really think about my life and nice. think about my role in my own life and think about my life's role in the greater system. And I urge all of you to do the same. You have a battle to fight. The battle starts at home. The battle yes. starts in your mind. And after that, you can fight the battle wherever you choose. It doesn't have to be in food. It can be wherever you want to fight the battle, even if mm -hmm. the battle is being the last person in your family to suffer from negative ideation, to be the final terminus of the BS that your family has carried for generations. You can heal that and just be the shining example of a quality individual. So one of my great, you know, one of the great, thanks, thanks so much for that. It's a great, um, kind of a great close there. It's really also one of my one of my hopes, John, is people do um, do take those steps, right, and and do take that first step to to start down the road to getting you know to fixing themselves, and from there you can end that cycle. And so many people that have been on on my Jar Podcast show have really been they're like the last ones, or or at least they're ending a lot of like heavy cycles. There may be stuff that comes and even themselves, they may not be great parents or perfect parents and their kids may think that they weren't even the best parents, but it's, it's the recognition of what they went through is not the right way. There's better ways They get in, they unpack that stuff. They're unpacking the trauma. Um, it is really a good, I think we've got a lot more awareness now and we're on, you know, we've got the opportunity to kind of turn the tide. hundred percent. I said this yesterday in my reel or a few days ago in my reel, where did you get your anxiety disorder from? These are learned behaviors. Where did yeah. you get your depressive episodes from? Where did you get your negative ideation? I only learned all of these things because they were modeled for me. And if we choose to model different behaviors for ourselves and for the universe, then what do you know? Nobody else has to deal with an anxious, depressed person. Yeah. And so I just appreciate the platform that you're giving folks to talk about ending the cycle, the negative self-perpetuating cycle, and keep it moving. 
Let's get it going. John, thanks for being a guest so much. Um, really appreciate your perspective, your story. I think, you know, for people, you know, this show is really about what you're doing in the space to turn things around. And, and John's story is absolutely incredible. He's got a great, legit uh, IG page to follow. Uh, I was poking around there. So, John, great story. And, and more importantly, what you've done with it is fantastic. I appreciate that, Ken. It's been a pleasure yeah. chatting. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, everybody, for supporting the show. Uh, please do, you know, give us a comment, give us some likes, and and do share it. And we'll be back. You can find us on this channel just about every day of the week, uh, roughly around the same time. And we've got a few early shows going this week as well, uh, because we got some European friends coming in to have a chat. Talk to you all very soon. Thanks again, John. Yeah, loose, baby. But we're about to go and make this vessel with these great professionals yeah. in public glass. We're not part of the community, but we're from Ooh. the outer family of glass blowing. Yeah, we're going to go make a magical giant jar with optic lenses so that if you turn it, it changes all the time. So if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at will change.